What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I might talk about. That. That's more of a heat of the summer thing. I say we just go ahead and get the podcast started. Cool. All right. I'm Chase Winter, host of the podcast. Uh, Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone is enjoying this spring. It's wonderful. And today's guest is Hunter Winnegar. <laughs> He's not going to say much. <laughs> nope. Got my dog in the office. He's hanging out, laying in his bed right here. Yeah. He's chilling right now. I'll tell you why he's here, Lee. I brought him to work today because Kristen is worried sick about him. Apparently, dogs can't have grapes or raisins. Did you know that? Well, I know they can't have chocolate. Well, the, apparently as little as 0 .05, so 1 20th of an ounce of raisins per pound of body weight causes kidney failure in dogs. Really? So Hunter could just eat one and a half ounces of raisins. One twentieth of an ounce of raisins yeah. per, what was the ratio again? One pound of body weight. Yeah, and in grapes, it, grapes are also deadly to dogs, but it's five times the amount. When they're dehydrated, it's much more concentrated. For one pound? Yeah. Liver, it can cause liver failure? Kidney failure. Kidney failure. Yeah. So the I other, didn't know that. The other day, Kristen was hiking. She had a granola bar with raisins in it, put it down on a log real quick, and Hunter <laughs> jumped up there. And, Thanks, Mom. Yeah. Boop. Well, so, so, then, uh, so she was worried that these raisins were going to kill him, so she called the vet, and they told him, they told her, to make him vomit. And they told her to use hydrogen peroxide to do it, so she had to squirt hydrogen peroxide down the back of his throat to make him throw up the raisins. And I was worried about the hydrogen peroxide down yeah, the throat, because no, that, no, that, that sounds terrible. That sounds much worse to me. So Hunter, Hunter's here so we can keep an eye on him and make sure he's healthy. And right, he's, he's either sleeping comfortably or... So did, did you see evidence that he expelled the raisin? Yeah, I wasn't there, but she said that he, you know, did his pathetic little gagging puke thing in the backyard and threw it all up so i have a hundred percent confidence that he is going to be perfectly fine but she's worried about him he probably ate four raisins you know and you know those little boxes of raisins the little red boxes yeah. basically it would take one and a half of those boxes to kill hunter hmm. um, those are one ounce and it, with 30 pounds it would be 1.5 ounces so that's why he's here long story short short he, he doesn't look any worse for wear. No, he's fine. He's now, fine. I had a dog that would uh, uh, throw up in the backyard, but it's because they ate either a baby bird or rocks. Oh, you got it. You know, those <laughs> dogs are detrimental to native wildlife, though. <laughs> no. Yeah, she, till he'd eat baby birds and fall out of the nest, and oh, she'd lay around, I don't feel good, Daddy. I was like, well, then she'd you can get rid of it. Hunter, when he finds a, a bird or a baby bird or something like that, he doesn't want to eat it. He wants he, to play with it. He almost wants to play with it, and he, but he won't be rough with it. He'll kind of put his paw out there like he's wanting it to play back, and it, it never does. Always, you know, put them back somewhere safe, and I'm sure they end up getting eaten by something else. Yeah, but um, feral cat. What was I going to say, Lee? I had something on the tip I of I didn't know thing. that about raisins. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I never have bought a single item in my entire life that contains raisins. It's one of my least favorite foods. I think they take something perfectly good in a grape and ruin it. Yeah. But, I mean, dehydrators are for jerky. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm not I'm not. I like both. Guy. I like grapes and I, love, I'm, and I love raisins. So Hunter is hanging out. You said something the other day about your dog, or you said something a minute ago about your dog eating rocks. Mm -hmm. The other day, me and Jameson, who's just a room over, went arrowhead hunting. And I found two arrowheads. Excellent. And I told Hunter, I said, hey, come come check these out. Hunter ran over there and immediately tried to eat one of them. <laughs> I had to grab it back. Now, from those were smooth rocks I had in the backyard for yeah. for drainage purposes. Tilly'd dig them up. And she loved to dig and, like, yeah. eat dirt. And 
<laughs> then she'd act sluggish, and I was like, oh, God, I think she's eating a rock. And then later she'd eat a bunch of grass, and there'd be two rocks, three rocks in there. <laughs> she was, just living her best you know, life. No, I was like, I, I tried my best to, to break it, and <clears throat> I was unsuccessful. You know, Lee, we are a uh, hunting, fishing, outdoors, nature podcast, so what do you say we do some of that, too? Okay, instead of talking about dogs eating rocks. <laughs> well, you know, I think people But, can, I mean, dogs eating rocks is interesting. <laughs> people can relate to that, right? People can relate. No, so last night, I will tell you, I will just start here. I went me, well, I went to the salt last night, went fishing for white bass. Mm -hmm. And you know, it rained yesterday. I didn't know what was going to happen. It was extremely slow. Mm. Extremely slow. But I did hear, the whole time I was out there, there was this turkey on the opposite hillside, on public land, hammering. I mean, he had to gobble a hundred times. I've been hearing him. Me and the other guy that were, was fishing next to me, we were, you know, just talking about this turkey and how somebody needed to get up there and get on that turkey. Maybe this upcoming uh, April 3rd weekend, that's mm -hmm. youth season, and then of course our general season is April 17th, somebody's gonna be up there on that ridge because that turkey is literally calling out to the whole Salt River river bottom and just asking for it. Mm -hmm. So somebody be up there, but I, it gets me excited just hearing those gobbles, you know? But we got, what, three weeks until general season for mm -hmm. people my age, yes. your age, so. So I've got some more time to fish before then. No doubt. Um, it so slow, but you went earlier in the week and was good, correct? Yeah, last night was my fourth white bass trip of the year. I've been to Nolan twice and I've been to Salt twice. And last night was by far the slowest. And it, it had- Where'd you go Nolan? Uh, I went to Nolan two weeks ago, roughly. I went twice two weeks ago. Um, went to the Salt. I got intelligence, that run is pretty much on. Now. Yeah, Nolan's a little bit ahead. You know, I've. I've been debating lately. There's been a lot of talk online about, you know, giving away your spots and, and keeping information secret and, you know. You In know. the day of the internet, there are no secrets anymore. Well, you know, I was thinking about it the other day because I, I started getting some heat last year for giving away information. People started getting mad at me and there were people I, I knew and I respected, people who had helped me out in fishing wise and showed me some stuff. And, you know, I started, and on one hand, I'm all for helping people out, right? Like that's how, I think it's great to give people tips and stuff, but I've kind of come to realize that the problem people have with it is when you basically drop a pin on a map and say, go here, you know yeah. what I mean? And I never had been against that, and I'm still not against it. I'm going to keep doing it professionally, like here I will. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I thought about it, and tell me what you think about it. I really think that you're helping people more if if instead of dropping the pin on the map and saying, hey, fish here, use this bait, go right at this time, right? Mm -hmm. I think, because you're, you're teaching them how to catch fish in one scenario, you know? But if you taught people about white bass and you taught them, hey, they spawn between 54 and 68 degrees, um, they run out of the lakes that hold them into the tributaries and headwaters, yeah. then that person can take that information and they, they know much more than just, here's a pin on a map, go on this date, throw this bait. Because mm -hmm. they can think about, okay, what's the food source gonna be? Okay, I need something that imitates a minnow. Okay, what lakes have white bass? Uh, Harrington, Nolan, Taylorsville. So I'm looking at the headwaters of those lakes and I'm looking for water temperatures between 54 and 68. Mm -hmm. So I think it's almost more helpful to give more generic information. Mm -hmm. And know, let them figure out the it's kind of like It's kind of like teach a man to fish, you know? Yeah. Instead, when you drop a pin on a map and tell them how to do one specific thing, you really aren't teaching them anything other than that one opportunity. But if you teach them about the whole species or the whole, you know, fishery, then you then it really opens doors for them to go other places and be successful. So that's kind of been like my takeaway is I think that we should 
focus more on the the species and the opportunity as a whole instead of just one specific you know point or location or aspect of it. Does that make any sense mm-hmm. at all? But I'm not going to keep secrets here. You know, I was on the Salt River last night down on River yeah. Road. You yeah. know, <laughs> drove all the way to the right, went to the the real headwaters where it starts looking a little bit lakey. You can hear the 248 bridge down there in the mm-hmm. distance. So, but when I first started with this job, a lot of my friends would send me uh, after I'd. Uh, publish an article or was quoted in the paper or what have you, and they'd send me emails, loose lips sink ships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, they would flame me if we were like camping and stuff. My information officer giving away all the good spots. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, they, they hammered me. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just think now, especially with Google Maps and the, the satellite stuff you can look at and everything, it's just hard to well, you, you know, know, it's just just hard to keep things. There's secret. some mixed reviews on that. There's a lot of stuff that the general public doesn't think about, like uh, let's just say saw guy or hybrid striped mm-hmm. bass. I mean, those fish wouldn't exist without stocking, right? Yeah, no doubt. And how do you think that the, the department decides? I mean, not entirely, but a, a good deal of the the stocking and the production of those fish is driven by usage. Mm-hmm. You know, if if nobody's fishing for exactly a certain species at a certain water body, then why waste resources on putting them in that water body if they're not getting used? Let's put them somewhere where people are using mm-hmm. them. You know, so participation drives a lot of the the management too. And you know, I go back and forth in my mind about that because part of it's like I don't want to see the resource exploited, uh-huh. but another part in this day and age, we were seeing declines in hunters and declines in anglers. Uh-huh. You know. Um, uh, if if something is known by more people, it's more likely to be protected. It's more likely to be enhanced. It's more likely to be um, overseen by more people and cared about yeah. versus things that only a handful of people know yeah. about. So yeah. it's 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 a constant debate in the mind of the, the, you know loose lips sink ships or promote this opportunity so people will take uh, take ownership of it. You know that's a good point, Lee, because. We're, we got an email to the show the other day, a guy down there on Nolan, and he said that, you know, he was basically saying that Chad had run the Nolan River. Um, he said, you know, before Chad was a host and telling people to go fish there, he'd, he'd go down there and never see another person. Well, you just said that we have less anglers and people, less people are buying hunting and fishing license today than they were 15 years ago, yes. right? So where are all these, if the, how are the banks 10 times as crowded today? with less people who are participating. Yeah. I, I don't understand it, but maybe it's because the internet's allowed people to get the information better and they know where the hotspots are. You know, mm-hmm. they just know when the run's on. It's a whole lot easier to find out when the run's on with a smartphone in your hand than it was 20 years ago mm-hmm. when, you know, snail mail was the best way to mm-hmm. send and or receive a message. Or pick up the phone, hey man, what, what are you hearing? You, you know? kind of got to try it yourself. Yeah. And that's that's honestly what I like doing. Like I. When we started fishing, I went with a couple of friends to Nolan two weeks ago. I mean, we had no hot reports. We literally did exactly what I just said a second ago. I didn't do it. My buddy had the info. He's like, hey, water temperatures are reaching this this uh, temperature. He said that I looked at where the precipitation fell the other day, and there was one watershed, one creek that didn't get any precipitation. He said that could be a hot spot yeah. right now. So we basically went down there based on knowing the species and knowing the water conditions and just with the thought in mind that, hey, it could be good, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that if you can learn how to do that, which, and like I said, it wasn't me who did it the other day. It was my, my buddy who I think is much better at white bass hybrid striper mm-hmm. fishing than I am, who came up with that info and put us on a good bite. Mm-hmm. So if people, if people could do that, and a lot of people can, but it's really learning 
the species and the fishery, and that'll that'll just make you, you know, successful everywhere. Like you can fish anywhere. And and things change. Yeah. You know, like you had good luck earlier this week. Last night was slow. Well, what happened? So if you tell people, oh, Tuesday I killed them, and they go on Friday, and the weather has changed. Yeah. They may get skunked. Well, so literally, last night was Thursday, right? Yeah. So Wednesday night, I went down there and caught an easy limit. And there was people all over the place catching fish. The 24 hours later, I went back to literally the exact same spot. And it was grinded out for, yeah. for bites. Yeah. And what had happened is it had rained yesterday. Not a whole lot of rain came down. Well, it's supposed to be two inches, but. They, you know, the weather guys missed it by a mile yesterday. And so just that little bit of rain cooled the water temperatures enough to turn the fish off. And when we were out there fishing, I mean, at one point, I looked around and there was nobody else there, which you know for this time of year, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and if you go there and there's no one, it's like, I probably should go home. Well, I, think, <laughs> I think one reason is because it was projected thunderstorms all night, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was, for the most part, pretty clear. But then around 7 o'clock or so, I mean, the rain started coming and thunder and lightning, you know, in the distance. And, and at that point, I looked over and we were just basically fishing in the middle of a thunderstorm. Uh, me and Kristen, nobody else. And I look over and there's there's one boat, <laughs> one boat out there with one person on it, just running the trolling motor, coming up through there fishing. And when the lightning, you know, started getting kind of bad, I looked at Chris and I said, well, surely it'll get him first. And I'm sure he was on the boat thinking, surely it'll get them first. <laughs> and and then uh, I really wanted that boat to come over so I could I could see who that lunatic was. And uh, and they never got close enough for me to yell at them. But I was like, I recognize that boat. I know that boat. Was it Sloan? It was Scott Kroon. Oh. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Scott? Yeah, Rachel. So Rachel was... Was Rachel with him? I didn't see Rachel in the boat. I think he was by himself. But Rachel was our guest on the last podcast. Yep. So her husband was the only other lunatic out there fishing in the thunderstorm last night. I did see him catch a few. And we caught a few. We, we caught like 12 or 13. I'd take that any day of the week. Yeah, I think we ended up taking home seven. We had a couple throwbacks. and Something big broke me off. I think, I'm wanting to say saw guy. Um, because it was... It was a heavy fish, and it snapped a little too easy. I'm, I'm thinking one of those teeth might have got me. Yeah. But it was, you know, I'll tell you something else, Lee, about the white bass run. Um, other day, I, I put on Facebook a, a picture of a tackle box. You know, and basically what I do with my tackle is I have a backpack that probably weighs 80 pounds. It's got everything I think I need to fish the state, you know. Me too. And then I've got it all divided into different things. Yeah. But I'm not packing 80 pounds in my back. No, I used to. I'd bring that for everything. I just, because I know I have it, and I'm like, I'm getting too no. old for this. I mean, it's got musky baits, and I don't need musky baits. Yeah, on I've got striper. I've got jigs. I've got cranks. I've got topwaters. And, you know, yeah. I've, got, I've got one of those too. But I keep a couple of empty Plano boxes, and then I, when I'm going on a trip, I, I just kind of put what in there what I think I need. Mm -hmm. So I put a picture up of my white bass Plano box that I'd, you know, put I've got one pre-prepared little one and yeah. supplemental lures from that. Well, I had a bunch of three-inch curly tails in there, and people were saying, three-inch, that's too big for white bass. Uh, so, nope. Yesterday, Kristen was throwing a two- and three-inch grubs all the time. She didn't catch her first fish until she switched to a four-inch Kitex swim bait. Wow. And they, I mean, they were, you know, it was in the back of their throats. People, I, like yesterday, on that three-inch grub, I probably caught a four-inch long white bass. Like you, you've been like you. They eat stuff that just seems way too big for them. But mm -hmm. then, I mean, they can do it. So I don't think that the three. I've got some three and a half inch swim baits packed, ready to go now. Yeah, I mean, three I'm inches this week. Three inches is great for white bass. Two inches, three inches. Mm -hmm. You could go up to four. And inches. I have some old. You know, I know you like the slider, little crappie slider uh -huh. grubs. They made for a while a two and a half inch, and they discontinued them. And I found a new bag of white that's just chock full. I've been experimenting, and with I've done really well with those on white bass. I, I kind of got like a. <laughs> 
it's it's almost like a half clear with a little flake in it and mm -hmm. half white. I've, I've been playing with colors, but it's all about, you know, water clarity. And that's mm -hmm. something else people need to figure out, too, is, you know, how water clarity and, and different colors works. Because yesterday, the water was crystal clear. So I was throwing, you know, natural looking colors. But when it starts getting muddy, that's when you might want to switch over to the chartreuse or something a little bit brighter. And, um, and you know, just so many things people can learn. I, I mean, I, every day I'm learning, too, when I mm -hmm. go down there. And, you know, people always tell you, you got to have this bait. This is all they're biting on today. I'm sure you've heard that before. Oh, right? yeah. Get on there. You got to have this. You don't have this, you can't catch them. I really think it has more to do with where you're at in the water column. Um, and water clarity. And, and also retrieve speed. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I think that some days they just aren't into chasing and a slower presentation is going to do it, but... And some days when the grubs don't work, I've put a little um, um, Gary Skidmore 32nd ounce little feather jig that you use for red yeah. ear and have slayed. Yeah. I've got a pink and chartreuse one and have destroyed white bass on those. Uh, I am I can't wait to go back down. Sometime soon. Me and you have to get down there, Lee. Yes, that sounds awesome. I plan to go this coming week. I've got everything ready and... I'll tell you what, that turkey goblin on that hill got me ready for turkey season. And on this weekend show, uh, you know, it's basically, it's time right now. The turkey season's on the horizon. White bass run is, is in, I'm not going to say it's in full swing, but it's really, really close. Mm -hmm. You know, the male, we're catching males. They're, they're up there staging. So the females will be making their way up pretty soon. And the white bass run will be full swing within the next two weeks. It'll get, mm -hmm. it'll get us through to turkey season. So that's the game plan. But at some point in that time, if you're turkey hunting, you also need to find time to go out and pattern your shotgun and start getting that stuff together. Yep. We have a segment coming up on this week's show that um, myself and Jameson double shot. We went down and went to actually Harold Knight's house down in Cadiz, Kentucky, and we patterned shotguns and talked about turkey loads with, with Harold. And that guy is, I mean, it literally blows me away how much he knows. Oh, I know. Uh, he, Dude, he's the... Taproot. Oh, it was it was American turkey hunting in a lot of ways. I think he might have harvested the first turkey in Kentucky. Uh, well, one of the first. Yes. Well, it's not for sure if it's back in the day when in '78 we only checked 44 turkeys. Yeah, he was getting them back then out of LBL. And I know that on the first oh, Kentucky Woodlands, like the first day of our first turkey season, he harvested one that morning. I think other people did too. I think there was maybe one other person. Mm -hmm. I heard the story before, but there's a really good chance that he harvested the first legal turkey in a Kentucky hunting season. Well, the tube diaphragm tube call he kind of invented with a yeah. prescription pill bottle. Yeah, he told us a funny story about that. But it was really cool. We went in his garage and he uh, literally, he made a mouth call right in front of us from raw materials in about three minutes. And then he, he was, you know, gobbling with it and just cutting and purring. And, I mean, it sounded beautiful. And he made it literally in three minutes out of raw materials. And it was cool to see. And uh, so, but basically what, the reason we went down there with him was on a call-in show a few years ago, he told us that he was no longer shooting a 12-gauge. He, he said that he had switched over to a 20-gauge and he was shooting a tungsten. And this is kind of when it first came out. And he, mm -hmm. told me, he told me he loved it. I never have shot tungsten. But when we went down there and we did this pattern test between a 12-gauge and a 20-gauge, I mean, I'm sold. I'm sold on the tungsten 100%. How much are they a trigger pull? A lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people are in my situation. I mean, I've got a bunch of copper-plated turkey loads. I mean, yeah. I have so much ammo that I need to use dispense of before yeah. I go well, that's spend what, three and four or five dollars a trigger pull. Well, that's what I'm doing this year. I'm using what I got, but I am looking to, in the future, make a switch. But he basically phrased it to me like this, because somebody had told him they weren't going to spend the you know, however much trigger pulls, let's just say it's 10 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't going to spend $10 on, on, on a turkey shell. And 
he asked them, he said, have you ever missed a turkey before? And they said, yeah. And he said, how much would you pay to have that miss back? And they, they said, $100. And he's like, well, yeah. you might want to consider spending <laughs> 10 bucks on the shell. Yeah. But, I mean, lead gets it done just fine. But it's really just new technology in a way. But for the environment, the, the tungsten's much better. The tungsten's better for the environment. And so if you think about a five shot of lead, you know, versus a nine shot of tungsten, mm -hmm. they weigh the exact same because tungsten is so much more dense. So they have the exact same kinetic energy, but you get literally hundreds more pellets in a nine shot shell. So you have the exact same kinetic energy per projectile with hundreds of more. So if you think about it, the, the stopping power with a tungsten load is, is way more than a lead load. A lot of the, the you know people who say they aren't gonna shoot nine shot, it's too small, it's too small. I mean, it literally has the exact same amount of weight that a five shot does in lead. So I don't think, and if you ask me, if it's smaller in diameter but weighs the same, it should penetrate even mm -hmm. better. So what's well, denser, you know, and tungsten with fishing, yeah, weights the same way. And it, because it's denser, it also holds a tighter pattern. Mm -hmm. It doesn't separate as much. So I'm I'm 100% sold on the tungsten. I thought the side by side test that we shot, and people need to watch this segment on Kentucky Field because there's way more information in it. And Harold and Chad do a much better job explaining it than I probably am right now. But the side by side test, a three and a half inch 12 gauge, side by side with a three inch tungsten 20 gauge load. I mean, there's no comparisons. I mean, the 20 gauge is by far better and it recoils less and it's lighter, you know, easier to carry around. Basically, I think it opens up doors for people to turkey hunt who might not have turkey hunted, in the, you know, previously. Because mm -hmm. you know, my buddy Brandon, youth season, youth season is next weekend. He wasn't going to take his kid out there to shoot a three and a half inch 12 gauge load. The kid's only like six years old, but he could find a 410 and shoot that tungsten and the kid could be perfectly fine. So I basically think it opens up, uh, you know, the door for a lot of smaller people to turkey hunt because, I mean, heck, a 12 gauge turkey load kicks as hard as a 50 cal oh, you know, BMG. Like, it's not fun. Nobody, Three and a half inches, murder. I weigh about 250 pounds and I don't like shooting them. If I weighed 120, mm -hmm. I might not. I'd be like, ugh. Yeah. And that's how a lot of people are, you know, if you're talking about youth turkey hunters or... or Especially, you know, the, the three and a half in a pump or a very light gun, yeah. like a synthetic pump. Woo! Yeah. Smoke you. Some of the people I respect most in, in you know, hunting, uh, Lance Sasser and Jim Doom and mm. Tim Farmer and all these guys have made the all the way the switch over to the 410. Um, 410 turkey gun with a, you know, a red dot sight and a, a turkey choker barrel i mean they they're telling me that it's as lethal a turkey gun as they've ever shot and it's carrying half the gun around it's just so much more pleasant to walk well, around i know a lot of crack shots that would uh you know dove hunt with a 410 yeah well that's just challenging there yeah uh something flying i don't know I, he, I, pete pfeiffer the late pete pfeiffer he was our director of fisheries forever he dove hunted with a 410 huh he was lethal can you use tungsten for waterfowl does it have to be steel no you can use and just non-lead yeah Okay. I was there's tungsten business. There's all kinds of combinations. Yeah. Just no lead. Something else coming up on this week's show. So there's the Herald Knight segment where we went down there and we talked turkey gear and shotguns. And really, I think it's it's eye opening the segment to, you know, because I've been turkey hunting for, I guess, 20 years or so, and I've never even considered. I've always thought you got to have, uh, you know, three and a half inch lead. You need as many pellets as you can get. But I mean, it just was eye opening to me what you can do with a smaller gun with the new shells. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth watching. And that'll be on YouTube next week too. But something else we have coming up on this week's show is probably something you have written about. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's um, you know, kind of a current event right now in fish and wildlife. And that's the zebra mussels mm -hmm. in the moss balls. 
You got? Did you make notes on that, or have you written a press release? Um, actually, I'm editing a piece. I just I got to do it when I get done with this on yeah. the moss balls. Yeah. And the and the, the the fact they may be transporting teeny weeny zebra mussels. Yeah. From it, the aquarium trade. That's uncool. Yeah, it's uncool. I you know I I wonder how like the general public they've probably heard of zebra mussels, mm -hmm. but unless you're in like a water treatment or in fisheries or you know the boating industry, I don't know if everybody knows how damaging they are. Like, I mean, when we, when I watch the interviews with Monty McGregor, who's our mollusk expert, literally like worldwide mollusk expert. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, he, Monty has an international reputation. Yeah, he's very, very good. Well, I mean, he's cutting edge. I mean, I think mm -hmm. he is basically the well, reason. People from, come from all over Europe, everywhere to study his techniques on propagation well, and stuff. Yeah, well, because he basically, the only- He's invented some new ones. The only reason we have certain species of mussels in the world right now is Monty, mm -hmm. because of some of the work that he did. Yeah. But when he was explaining zebra mussels and how detrimental they are to the environment, I mean, it just, I don't want anything to do with them. Like, uh, keep them out. What smacked me in the face was on my first assignment. This was 20 years ago, 21 years ago, in May of 2000 when we had the wild turkey fire. Yeah. And there was a complete kill of the Kentucky River downstream. And during that, the sugars in the whiskey tied up a lot of the particulates that are in, in the river, and it was crystal clear. The Kentucky River, you could see down 15, 20 feet. Uh -huh. And I looked down, and the whole bottom was nothing but zebra mussels. Zebra mussels? Yes, down there. Now, we were in pool down by Monterey. We were in pool, I guess, pool three. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I was like, what? And I looked down, and I was with Carrie Prather, the late Carrie Prather, and he goes, those are zebra mussels, Lee. And I was like, I never knew they were this extensive. Yeah. I mean, blanketed everything. I mean, they're basically in our rivers. Um, but, you know, what Monty gave us is that we've been able to keep them out of a lot of our lakes, mm -hmm. which we need to keep doing. And he, he basically, because they're from Europe and Asia, um, I think he said the Black and Caspian Sea. And this is something people should watch as well. I'm just, you know, framing the problem a little bit. You hear Hunter snoring over there? <laughs> I think he's perfectly healthy lately. <laughs> I think he's doing fine. He's snoring. I'm just a little jealous of him right now. <laughs> yeah. No, but so these zebra mussels, he was explaining that in Europe, you know, how they are a detriment to the water um, intake systems and things. So basically, they're microscopic little larvae. They'll, they'll get inside the pipes and attach to the pipes and then grow and completely clog the pipes. Clog the, yeah, water he intake said, He systems. said in Europe, they run two pipes. And one of them, they, they have blocked off, no water going through it. And when the zebra mussels clog up the, the one that they're running water through, they shut it off and open the other one up. And that gives them time to clean the zebra mussels out of one. And it's basically a never-ending battle. It's like part of your daily process go open up that pipe and you know and the, it's almost twice as much infrastructure that has to be laid as far as piping goes just so you can have a working water intake system plus you got to put the manpower into cleaning it all the time and then it, you know and cut your feet and cut your hands are really sharp and tear up boats and props and kill native species now, i think you can sometimes intake them into your boat and overheat your boat yeah correct uh, i'm sure that makes and sense and the water intake system if, for your cooling system they just sound like something we want no part of. And basically, there's a new way that they're being transported, mm -hmm. or not transported, but they started finding them in moss balls that they sell at, at pet stores for mm -hmm. fish tanks and aquariums and things like that. And, and they're so, in a larval stage, you can't see them. So if somebody buys these moss balls from a pet store, and then their guppy dies, and they take their guppy out to, let's just say, Taylorsville Lake mm -hmm. and dump their fish tank in there, they might have just introduced a Zebra species. Muscles, yeah. yeah, a species that could completely destroy a lot of aspects of that waterway. So we, you know, the whole point of that segment is to try to educate people on this new method of transport and the problems with zebra mussels. And Monty does a really good job, him and Andrew Stump, 
um, explaining it. So, you know, this weekend show is one that, you know, I hope people tune in for because it's pretty useful to what's coming up. And we do catch some fishing and there are some turkeys being, you know, there's some hook and, hook and bullet stuff in well, there too. Well, so. Speaking of a future show, uh, I was in the parking lot, got in the truck and this truck pulled up beside me. I look over and it's Chad. Oh, okay. And he said, hey Lee, look at this. So what is he it? showed me the pictures of those two smallmouths he caught. I think oh, Monday. Dale. Yeah, Del Holla. He said, I uh, caught 10 pounds of smallmouth in two consecutive casts. Yeah, back to back, a 5'1 and, uh, and a 4'15. Um, I'm doing a series on the internet called the Spring Fishing Frenzy. I've been doing them for several years now. Just go to our website, type in Spring Fishing Frenzy. You can view the night. And I wrote a little piece about what Chad did. And, and he thinks a spy bait would work really well right now. Oh, I know you love that spy bait. I do. I love it. <laughs> Every time I go down there fishing with Chad on Dale. He, he says, next time you talk to Lee, ask him if he's been throwing a spy bait lately. <laughs> he, he said, Lee will talk to you for 20 minutes about that spy bait. Oh, I love it. I, I've hammered them. And I've saved all the ones I've hung because, man, they're not cheap. Yeah, you know? I, I threw a spy bait one time. And a spy bait, it almost looks like a... Uh, An jerk old devil's bait. horse, you know? Oh, it looks almost like a jerk bait or something. It's like, uh, you know... It's got double props. Stick bait, but that's the thing. It has those props in the front. So on the nose of the bait, there's almost what looks like an airplane prop. Mm-hmm. And that spins and it just puts off all kinds of vibration through the water. And I'm pretty sure that they're, uh, um, what's it called? When they don't sink or... or yeah. They, 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 you, can, you, you retrieve them at the same, pretty much the same depth. Yeah, they're count them down, retrieve them. Count them further down, retrieve them. It's a suspended bait. Yes. So when it, if you quit reeling, it's going to hover in the... Yeah. No, I guess it would Some sink. Some hover, some will sink. Yeah, Depends so, on... Some have pretty high sink rate. Some don't have any hardly at all. But basically, you can do a, a retrieve and stop method with them, mm -hmm. which can trigger a fish to bite that might not have. You know, sometimes special... I've done that. You know, I'm saying the lead sink just a little bit, and a smallmouth sometimes is following it, but hasn't committed. Yeah. And you stop it and let it sink a little bit, they'll pop it. Yeah, that's you know, it's a change in retrieve. Just like sometimes I think that, you know, I, if I'm farm pond fishing for bass or something, and I'm running a swim bait. I might retrieve to my left and then mid cast to switch over to my right because it, it makes that bait change directions a little bit. You know, and, it, and it's winds like a fish might follow a bait. You're reeling the bait at a constant speed. The fish might just, you know, be eyeballing it, following it, not really wanting to bite it. But then if it changes directions, Bam. It, it changes pace or something, it's like it just triggers that fish. Mm -hmm. So a spy bait's really good for that. Kind of like the same principle as a jerk bait, you know, where you're. You know, stop and go, stop and go. But a spy bait has those props on it. So, and I've been uh, stream fishing, and you know, and I've, I've actually seen smallmouth follow my bait. And then once once it swings, you know, you're fishing from upstream to downstream. And once it kind of swings, where the current grabs it, uh -huh. pow! They'll follow it, follow it because it makes that change of direction. Yeah. Bam. I think you know, change of direction, change of pace, any of that stuff helps. So that's why the spy bait's good. But as far as your spring spring fishing frenzy, I'm having a hard time talking today, Lee. Yeah. Did you have an equal? Did you have aspartame at any time in the last 24 hours? What is that? Like a Diet Coke or? No. No. I, I, Some people think equal can make their enunciation. Was it that bad? I didn't yeah. think it was that Tom bad. Tom Brokaw said it. Yeah. He said, no, I mean, no, I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brokaw was like, if he was stumbling some words, he goes, oh, I shouldn't have had equal. Equal. No, mm -hmm. I pretty much only drink uh, three things and coffee and water. The, you know, I, I don't. I don't drink many soft drinks. So. I don't. I don't hardly drink any. Once, once here and there. I, I do have Gatorade Zero, though. I have to admit, I'm a little. Yeah, like you know, sometimes. But what? What? What was in the piece that you wrote? The uh, well, it's mainly about spy bait and, and talking about Chad's fish. Yeah. And uh, then going over spy bait, how to use it, and all that. Yeah. And, we, and I use a picture that Chad gave me, and it's got it's nice. One of those from the mm -hmm. other day. Yeah. That was out with Bobby Gentry. And that'll be a future Kentucky Field 
segment. Yeah, I'm not. That one's not on the calendar yet. It's still in the very early stages of yeah. being edited. I so. said, look for it in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully within the next couple of weeks. We got a live show coming up. So basically, this weekend is Harold Knight Zebra Mussels, and then we do some trout fishing. Next weekend is going to be a white bass segment that I filmed on Nolan River and a kayak bass fishing segment. Did you see that bass? Yeah, I did. Seven, seven, six. <laughs> I know, I saw it. I've got it on my phone. Yeah, that, that I'm was holding that one. one. I'm holding that bad boy for a future story. Uh, the weekend after that, we have our live uh, turkey question and answer show. And that'll be on Facebook. You know, we're still not in the studio because of coronavirus. But um, people can submit questions on Facebook and we'll answer those live with, uh, I think this year's panel is going to be Zach Danks, who is our turkey biologist mm -hmm. or program coordinator. I think we're going to have Joe Lacefield on this year, mm -hmm. which is new. And mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty excited about Joe coming on, too, because, you know, he does a lot with uh, turkeys as well. He's a, he's basically a private lands biologist. Mm -hmm. But if you ask me, Joe is really a naturalist. Mm -hmm. He's been on the podcast before, um, way back in the day. It's probably been two years. But mm -hmm. Joe is a wealth of knowledge, too. He is. And they did some really cool stuff. Um, yeah, when he was in college, he did an excellent documentary, Gurney Norman, on KET. Oh, really? On the Kentucky River, showing different plants and stuff. Well, they were catching turkeys out of his farm last year and putting backpacks on them. Did you see that? No, I the, did not. The GPS trackers on the turkeys? So I, that, I did see that. He's done some cool work with turkeys, too. So that's coming up on April the 10th. It'll be on, on the show, but April the 6th is when we're live. And then after that, it's turkey season. I was we're, with Joe when I saw my first elk in Kentucky. Really? Yeah, he took us out and we got some pictures. I wanted to say, when it's did they go six by six? And he went to Automotive and just tore it up with his hand, with his rack. The first elk I saw in Kentucky was uh, on I mean, I was close. I could have thrown a stick and hit him. It was this great. Was, the first one I saw was in 2016. And it was, uh, we were going to hunt, but we went down the week before to scout. And it was real foggy out. And we parked the truck and we got out and we started walking. We didn't make it 20 steps. And there were two bulls fighting right in front of us. I mean, they weren't 75 yards from the truck, but because the fog was so thick, we couldn't even see them until we walked up a little closer. And we just crouched down right there on a gravel road up on a uh, coal mine and just watched these two bulls go at it. And you could hear them. You couldn't see anything because of the fog, but you could hear the bugles coming. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was it was surreal. It was really, really cool. Oh, he bugled close to us. They gave me hackle hairs in the back of my neck. It was great. Man, they were, I was close enough to, they get pretty fragrant when they're yeah. running. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can smell them. Oh, you can, when I... They, when, they pee on themselves and stuff, don't they? Yeah, they have, you know, it's kind of just marking the territory. They got those tarsal glands on mm -hmm. the back legs, just like a deer. And you see a deer in the rut, you know, a buck, a lot of times he'll kind of squat. And what he's doing is actually urinating on his own legs because he yeah. wants to. Same reason Hunter over there rolls in, you know, things that smell. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to make himself smell more manly. Out there. <laughs> I had a dog named uh, Sam. He was a fox. Man, man would eat. If he found a cow pie, it was, for When I interviewed for. So half time. Before I worked for the department, obviously, I had to interview, you know, go through the whole hiring process and interview. And when I came in for my interview, uh, Chad was on the interview panel along with several other people. And he reached over to shake my hand. And, uh, and after he shook my hand, he said, I'm sorry, that, that might smell. He said, I just got home from an elk hunt at 3.30 this morning. And he said, I might smell like bull. <laughs> and uh, I was like, man, that's no problem whatsoever. No, no doubt. No, it's a, the smell of success. No doubt. I'm really getting, I want an elk tag. So bad. And I've, I've put in for, I'm not going to be one of those people who says I've put in every year because truth be told, I haven't. I think that what's the number down to now? There's like literally only 50 something or 60 something people who have legitimately put in every year. Mm -hmm. But you, if you were to, if you were to survey the state, there would be 200,000 people who have yeah. put in every year. Yeah. But, um, so I, I do try <laughs> to put in every year. Last year I only put in for two tags. This year I put in for all three. 
And I think that deadline's the end of next month, right? Is it the yes, end it of is. April? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you, you have a little over a month left to put in for the elk draw. But I man, I don't know why, but this year I've really got the itch. Like I've, I think it's because I, I went on an archery bull hunt last year for the show. And being on a bow hunt for elk really just got me geared up. Like, I, I want to go so bad. So, uh, hopefully, early May should be the drawing. I'm hoping my name's called. But, you know, you, you still have a little over a month to put in if you if you want to. So, And if I don't get drawn, I'm still going to find somebody to tag along with. Well worth it. What do you got, Lee? Well, one thing um, I wanted to ask you is, have you caught any songai? I did not. I think I broke one off last night. I think well, that one I our broke. Our coworker Chase Walling taught a four nine. He told me I could say this the other yeah. day on a white curly tail grub, if memory serves correctly. Um, but he only caught two. That's only two bites. He had two bites all day. I've talked to some other people who have caught them. Uh, I think the saw guy made the run a little earlier, and mm -hmm. this this would hold true for walleye in uh, the Nolan River. You know, um, so it's not just one fishery, but you can you know it's pretty much the same thing with the other species as well. Um, they make their run a little bit earlier. So a little bit further upstream would potentially give you a better chance to find them. Mm -hmm. um, that's walleye or guy or sauger. I believe that's what he did. Yeah, um, going a little further upstream. I was I started targeting saw guy last night. Um, I went to a quarter mm -hmm. ounce, so I was staying on the bottom. I was kind of banging bottom on the way across, and you know it's low light conditions as it was starting to get dark. So that's how you kind of want to target them closer to the bottom, uh, maybe a little bit further up the headwaters than you would fish for white bass. And uh, looking at low light situations, possibly being best, uh, dawn or dusk, you know, before the, you don't want bluebird skies, the sun, you know, right above you, crystal clear water. So they're a light sensitive fish, you know. Yeah, they are. And, you know, if you look at a sauger, a walleye, or a sauger, if you look at how they're made, their eyes are literally on top of their head. Mm -hmm. And if you look, if you look at the top of them, they kind of have those saddles and the, the bars on top. That's just camouflage. Those fish are literally made to stick to the bottom. And I'm not saying that they always do. I think sauger, you know, because I, I was actually baiting this last night. Well, sauger are like that. I mean, sauger, you, you're not hitting bottom, you're not going to be catching me, sauger. Well, so here's my thing. <clears throat> In my experience. Sauger are definitely a stick-to-the-bottom type fish, right? Walleye are more of a water column type fish. Mm -hmm. am, I, am I right or wrong? Though? Yeah. You agree? Yes. Pe people a lot of times throw, you know, stick baits or crank baits or things like that. Walleye are more of a water column type fish. And you know, when I was originally targeting the saw guy, I was wanting to be on the bottom because I was thinking sauger. Because I fish for a lot more sauger than I have walleye. But then I started thinking about it, people catching them on these curly tail grubs while white bass fishing. It's probably the hybrid species in them. Mm -hmm. The hunter's really hasting the horn up. I don't know if that's coming across on the mics, but he's just knocked out. The, the, he's having a dream. He's Is he running? Yeah, he's running and... <laughs> he's yeah. barking hopefully this comes across well in the podcast <laughs> i don't know if they'll be able to hear him but <laughs> he's killed yeah he's barking and running yeah he's, he's having a big time in his dream well hopefully he catches that rabbit yeah, i hope you catch the rabbit yeah. but um so i think that saw guy you know because they're they're a hybrid you gotta think of them that way it might not be necessarily a stick to the bottom type deal I, it might be fish by fish like mm -hmm. are they gonna fish like sauger they're gonna fish like walleye you know, in my experience so far, catching them incidentally while white bass fishing, it seems like they fish more like walleye mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. But I still think staying a little deeper couldn't hurt. Yeah. And I still think those low light water conditions don't hurt either. Yeah. A little stain is better than, you know. But man, I tell you, there's, I don't know if there's a fish I'd rather eat than a saw guy. And I mean, they're a, they're a sterile species. 
So if you take one home, you're only taking the one home. You're yeah. not, you know, it's not like you hurt the reproduction because they weren't going to reproduce anyway. Mm -hmm. Being a hybrid, you know, they can't reproduce. So that's a fish I am very in favor of catching cook. Mm -hmm. Very in favor of catching cook. Well, you know, our, our, the late Ted Kroll, who was assistant director of fisheries for a long time and uh, fun, one of the funniest people you ever meet, he's, he would say, you know, Lee, it's not a shame to eat a fish. Oh. We've went so far to where people are like, they have to catch and release everything. That's why we go to all this trouble is to have a, a daily creel limit and to have yeah. minimum size limits so you can do that every day and it's not going to impact the fish. Oh, last night. So, I mean, I brought home. It's not, it's not a CND to fish. So, on Wednesday, I caught 17 and I think I brought home 13. I threw four back, you know, because I, I don't necessarily want to clean a small one mm -hmm. that much, but I'll keep some of the bigger ones. So, I brought home 14 and uh, last night we went back, me and Kristen, and I started putting them on a stringer and she, she had a... I think her retrieve speed was a little bit off last night. I was really slow rolling it. So I caught a couple fish and she was still grinding it out for the first one. And she did catch her first one. It was a pretty good size, probably a 14 inch male white bass. And I went to grab the stringer and she said, no, when she threw it back, she said, that one gets to lift. And then um, after that, we, we kept everything after that. And last night we got home, I cooked them blackened on the skillet. And she literally said to me while she was sitting on the couch there eating, I wish I wouldn't have thrown that one back. <laughs> so, so that's a that's a. She can fit. go back and get it later. We will. But the, the spring issue of uh, our magazine is going to have a saw guy piece that I wrote based yeah. on uh, what we did. We had a great glory day last year on them. You and know, we got some great pictures. You know, people are a lot more in <clears throat> in tune with uh, white bass fishing. Mm -hmm. I mean. A lot of people go white bass fishing, and not a whole lot of people have caught saw guy. They're still a new species. That's why the state record gets broken every single year. Oh, and that's another thing I wanted to say. I, um, there's a guy coming today uh, I'm going to take pictures of uh, early this afternoon. Potential new state record saw guy from Bullock Penn Lake, nine pounds and a half ounce. Nine pounds. Man, I'd love that fish. Yeah, well. I'd love that he's, fish. He should be here, so if you want to see him, we're going to be taking pictures. And uh, Does he have the fish? Yeah, he's bringing the fish here. Is it? Uh, when did he catch it? Um, I want to say two Monday earlier this Is week. Is it frozen? Likely. Because if you, you either freeze that one or you got to bring it up here filleted, would you take pictures of a filleted fish? <laughs> 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 this fish sandwich is the current state record. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh my God. One time, it, we would get you know, shot to death. One time, uh, we put on. Um, Back in the day, Ohio River had uh, <laughs> 10, 10 saw guy for, for your daily creel. Yeah. The rest of the state was six, I believe. Um, and we put 10 saw guy, these guys, and we put it on the cover. The, it was a really good picture. One guy had a saw guy, the rest of them had sauger. Mm -hmm. You idiots, old guy, we got flamed. Don't you know the state? You know, yeah. I was like, well, on the Ohio River, if you look under special regulations, it's 10. That's yeah. been taken away now. Well, so. the regs is kind of where I was going when we started that conversation. People know about the white bass run, right? Mm -hmm. And people are going to be out there white bass fishing or crappie fishing, and they might have never caught a saw guy before. And so when they catch one, people might need to know, they, they, they might be fumbling into themselves, can I keep it, what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I don't have service on a lot of these rivers. No land, I have no service. Mm -hmm. At Salt River, I have no service. You can't just get on your phone and look up the reg, and you might get lucky, there's a game warden you can ask him, but you don't want to have that fish on a stringer if it's under 14 inches. Mm -hmm. So basically the reg's 14 inches, um, six fish, daily limit on nolan and salt and you know most of the water bodies aside from the ohio river 
It's 14 inches on Sauger, Sauga, and Wawa. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's 14 inches across the board is because they're so hard to tell apart. Yeah. You know, it'd be easy to misidentify fish. And I mean, I've some people up here before have been looking at a fish for, I swear, 10 minutes. They're trying to figure out is this especially a, a hybrid and white bass sometimes or spotted and largemouths too can get really what, the sauger and the saw guy because you can mm -hmm. find a saw guy that has extremely defined saddles mm -hmm. and you know really looks like a sauger and you can find a sauger that because of where it's sitting might not have this i mean it, it's real easy to mix them it up. is so that's why the the limits are the exact same across the board you basically yeah, once get, we did the saw guy that's when they did that you get six combined of any of those species, they just got to be over 14 inches. And if they're over 14 inches, I suggest you uh, try them out if you're a fan of eating uh, anything mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, they're delicious. Yeah, that new state record saw guy would be cool to see. A 10-pounder. I, I remember the state record from last year, wasn't it like 8.6 or something like that? Mm-hmm. That, that was out of the Cumberland River. He was uh, trolling. And that, Down that, around Winfrey's Rocks, when he caught that. That fish looked huge to me, so I, I can't even imagine a nine. I'm excited to see this one. <laughs> the, um, <clears> but <throat> the reason that the state record is getting broken every year is because they're new species. New, yeah. So it's just going to keep getting broken until they finally reach that max. The state record in Ohio is 14. So we got a couple years lake. left. Yeah. we got a couple years of them getting bigger left. Yeah. So that's, that's good news. No doubt. There was something, Lee, on my mind a second ago. Well, one thing, I was... Uh, we did a little uh, conservation conversations. It's on our YouTube. On and, the, and, it's on the department's YouTube, not yeah. the Kentucky Field YouTube. No, no, it's on department's it's YouTube. The Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife. Um, but uh, we were talking to an officer, and one of the things, everybody is getting, you know, screenshots or whatever and having their license on their phone, but you must carry a picture ID with you, yeah. even if it's on your phone. Well, technically, the, the thing is that your license has to be signed to be legal. Yeah. And you can't necessarily sign, sign a screenshot. So the, in, in lieu of a signature, your picture ID mm -hmm. will work. So that's, that's what you gotta have. So you either have to have your signed paper license or you can have a screenshot. And because you can't sign the screenshot, your picture ID. What I do is go to your My Profile after you buy your license, either you buy it over the internet, on your phone, whatever, and uh, print off a copy of your license and put it in your wallet. If you look here, Lee, yeah. in this little thing, I keep one of these in my desk. And every year when I get my new hunting and fishing license, I put my old one in here. Mm -hmm. So I have my, you know, all my harvest logs and it's all my confirmation. I've got mine's like that thick. So there's <laughs> in my bedroom. There's 18, my guess, guess there's 19, there's 20. <laughs> so I keep all, I literally, I like keeping my paper license, you know, and hopefully in 30 years, I'm still alive and I'll have, you know, 40. I've got them things. going back, gosh, 30 years, I think. Yeah, it's cool because I kind of, you know, the 18 right here, I flip it over, I look at the back, okay, here's deer antlered mill, uh, 1005, you know, and I've, I've, you know, it's right there. I can kind of see that. And I remember South Carolina, I've got Florida and I've got a bunch from Arkansas. I've got Indiana in here as well. But, um, so and that's, if yeah. you get a confirmation number, you need to carry a picture ID as well. Oh, really? If you, yeah, you know, if you buy like, I've done that with my wife. Oh, oh God, we forgot here. Let me call and call in and get a confirmation number. But she, she needs to carry a picture ID. Yeah, to be legal. That. And you know, honestly, a lot of that comes down to officer discretion. Yeah. So if you don't have a picture ID, I'm not necessarily going to say that you're going to get a ticket because mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, it's officer discretion. But do you want to risk it? Yeah. You know, I, I probably don't. So I would just be safe on that. And, you or know, print off a paper license, then you're covered. It is a new license year. Mm -hmm. And um, 
Yeah, I, I, I like the paper license. I like holding on to them. So, and I, I usually print off multiples because on my profile you can print off as many as you want. I know. I put one in the thing I use for hunting. I put one in yeah. my fishing. I put yeah. and one in my car. And that's so that's what I have. One in my ones in my center console. Ones in my fishing backpack. And there's one that's downstairs in my basement right now. But it will go in my hunting backpack. My hunting backpack gets real nasty a lot. It has to be washed very often because I mean I'll you know, it'll just get rained on and then mildewy and I'll have to. So I take stuff in and out of it quite a bit. Yep. You got anything else, Lee? I, I think that uh, I covered what I wanted to talk I wanted to talk yep. about basically the White Bass Run, mm -hmm. um, where it's at on our various rivers right now. That little bit, you know, new philosophy on information sharing, where I think, you know, I don't think you necessarily want to keep information from people, mm -hmm. but I really do think that you can be more helpful if you teach somebody about the broader picture mm -hmm. than a, a point in time at a location. You know, a, a, dropping a map, a pen on a map and telling them to go here and throw this doesn't help them as much as saying, this is w what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that was that particular day. They'd go three days later, different conditions, and depend on a map is useless. Exactly, so, exactly. And, um, one other thing I wanted, I ran into David Baker, who's our Central Fisheries District biologist, uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. And they uh, did their population sampling on Elkhorn Creek recently, and they saw a smallmouth up to 19 inches. Okay, that's a really good smallmouth. And uh, many quality fish. Can I get says, a pen? Can I get a pen on that smallmouth? Yeah, well, <laughs> Yeah, so go uh, put in, no, um, put in Knight's Bridge, go around the corner. No, um, he said, excellent body condition. He says, obviously, they're feeding heavily. Mm -hmm. He said they were all like about to split. They looked like footballs, their bellies were extended. But he said they were in super fast water on the outside bends and were very difficult to sample. And he said it would be nearly impossible to fish for them right there. Oh, no, it's never impossible, Lee. No. No. I've got six ounce river sinkers in my back. <laughs> well, I mean, for, for, People who throw <laughs> yeah. under two ounce weights. Yeah. For small he said it'd just be hard. He said it was really hard to sample them because as soon as they come up. And have you ever dipped? Have you ever yeah. went out and dipped? Yeah. You got to get on them. You know, you can't lollygag yeah. when you're dipping. You got to get on those no. fish. Come up and boom. He no. said it was. But uh, he said it should. It looked fantastic. The only fish. Happy. I agree. Is huh? that a good stretch? Yeah, I'll tell you. The only fish I I've bet ever. But you're tired after a running dream. Yeah. The the, uh, the only fish that I've ever gone out and sampled was muskie, and that was really cool. Mm -hmm. But it's a you know the muskie are you see one you want to get it yeah um and that was breedstock muskie march 9th of last year is when we went and did that um and so like i said basically white bass run mm -hmm. um you know that that's one thing i wanted to hit uh turkey season prep you know and talking about lead versus tungsten and you know tune in and watch that segment for more information the zebra muscle issue you know if i'm talking about a segment that's coming up on this week's show on the podcast i don't necessarily want to spoil it you mm -hmm. know but the zebra muscle that's a big enough issue where I think that, you know, it's worth giving all the information. It's yep. it's really a get the information out there as much as possible type deal. And it's, I don't think it's going to take away from the TV show for us to talk about it like we did, where I'm saying that this is the problem. They're coming across in moss balls and aquariums. Do not dump um, any aquarium or any, uh, you know, store-bought product into a native waterway because no. you could do damage. And that, you know, might be something other than zebra mussels. Mm -hmm. You never know what you might be introducing. Well, I so. mean, the snakeheads, all these exotic things have been from aquarium release. Except for Asian carp. They were from a minnow pond. Yep. Man. And uh, zebra mussels came in ballast water. I think they're native to the Caspian Sea. Am I black, correct? Black and black Caspian sea, yeah. Sea. Well, it's both of them. And, and they, they came in ballast water mm -hmm. here. And what they did was they got on a cargo ship coming across from Europe. They got in the ballast waters, you know, because basically when they're loading and unloading ship, they mm -hmm. have to take in and release water to make room for the cargo and mm -hmm. to let the ship, you know, sit level. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, they've loaded up with water from over there in Europe, and they came to the Great Lakes in Kentucky. I think it was St. Clair. Mm -hmm. And when they got there, they dumped their water, and boom. Boom. They huge, took off like that. Th thanks for the huge issue. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's something people need to know about. And then, of course, you covered the uh, spring fishing frenzy with mm -hmm. uh, what's coming up with that with uh, Chad, obviously. I mean, that day when they caught those fish, Chad told that's you. On the, it's on there now. It's posted. Well, Chad told you they caught 10 pounds and two casts. Mm -hmm. It was a grind that day, too. Yeah. And it just took, you know, the right. It was an evening bite. Yeah, and they, they started in the morning. So that tells you that. And uh, Chad has no problem <laughs> if you've been on a boat with Chad fishing until the till the mission's done. Man, I, people, I try to tell people sometimes that, you know, they're, uh, you know, people see Chad on TV. And obviously he has to do everything mm -hmm. on TV. <laughs> and Chad really is, I mean, when he came into this job, he really was a, a beginner at certain things. You know, mm -hmm. he, he really hadn't done a whole lot of turkey hunting before. Um, and he'll tell you that because during turkey season, he always spent that time of year on a boat. But smallmouth fishing mm -hmm. and just fishing in general, like, dude was hardcore. Mm -hmm. And there are some things that, you know, I fish with a lot of people. And there are some things that I've never seen anybody do quite like Chad. And one of them is the cold conditions. I've never seen anybody that can handle the cold like, oh, like Chad does. I've got some great pictures of snow in the background of Del Hollow. Oh. Got a, the high that day was 39 and it snowed on us all day. Oh. I, I got skunked and Chad caught three beauties, but man, we worked our butts off. And he won't wear gloves. He, no. want, he wants to feel the bite. He won't wear gloves, he refuses to wear gloves. I've been out there fishing with him before, 12 degrees, with probably a wind chill of two. And he's dipping his hand in the minnow bucket to get the minnows out. Hands coming out covered in water, and he's just putting the minnow on and fishing with oh, wet wow. hands. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. But he really is, uh, as far as bass fishing especially, and smallmouth even more especially. Yeah, I mean, just hardcore. And Kristen said it yesterday. I mean, she she brought up a trip we had with Chad back in the day where we were on the boat, and we were all throwing the exact same lure, fishing the exact same spots, and Chad was out fishing us three to one. Yeah, I've been there. I told her, I said, it's just the feel. He knows what that smallmouth bite feels like mm -hmm. down there. You know, he can feel it. Where we might think it's a rock, we might think it's nothing, we might not even feel it. Think it's it. a, a weed. Yeah. Just fine-tuned to know exactly what. he. It's like you can... You know the aqua view? Mm -hmm. like, it's like he's almost got an aqua view down there watching his bait just via his hands, you know? Yeah. It's uh, it, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, tune in this week's show and like I said, the spring fishing frenzy that you mm -hmm. have there. And uh, look for the Saw Guy piece in the upcoming magazine. It's going to be out very soon. You know so. what else everybody should do? They should go out and uh, just go fishing. Yeah. Because this time of year, I don't care if it's a I've farm. I've been buried. Or... I'm going to make up for lost time. Man, it, the streams are turning on. Mm -hmm. The river systems are getting hot. Farm ponds are here right now. It's it's just time to go. Time to go fishing. So that that it's what I want to do every day when I get off. And right now, if you look at my car, it's tackle and rods and reels. And today, it'll be a dog as well. So, <laughs> Lee, I've got nothing else if you're good with it. Well, good thing to do. Go through all your stuff. Before you go out, just go through all your stuff. Go through all your fishing stuff. Get it organized. Yeah. It's actually kind of fun, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't do a whole lot of cleaning around the house, but I do clean up my tackle quite a bit. <laughs> well, nothing worse than, oh, I left this in that box yeah. or I left this in that bag. Just go through your stuff. Yep. All right. Well, appreciate it, Lee. Y'all have a good, good one. Hunter just perked up. He says bye. <laughs> How are you, buddy?